Hey, bookworms. Welcome to the Picky Bookworm Podcast. I am so glad you are here. I am the Picky Bookworm, and I love bringing recognition to indie and self-published books through book reviews, proofreading, and podcasting. Every Saturday, I get to talk to a member of the writing community, from book bloggers to authors and even other podcasters like myself. I'll include a link to my website where you can leave a comment with your thoughts on the show or questions for the author that I may not have gotten to. You can also find information on how to sponsor this podcast. Ready? Grab your tea, wine, or laundry, and let's get to it. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Picky Bookworm Podcast. I am here today with Lori Nave. I met her on Twitter. She became a proofreading client. Wow, I cannot talk today. And she has become a friend. So we are going to talk books. We're going to talk life. We're going to talk about everything in between. I hope you have a great time. So grab your tea, grab your wine, Grab your laundry, Caroline. We're going to get started. <laughs> and most of my guests lately have been laughing at that. And I don't know if you caught last week's episode, but I actually explained why I started doing that. Um, my friend Caroline, she's one of our uh, golden girls in our golden girls book club. Oh, cool. She, um, she told me one day that she listens to the podcast every week and she would put in her earbuds and she would fold laundry while she was listening to the podcast. And that it was, it was, my podcast was a great way to distract her from the boringness and the monotony of folding laundry. And so one day, just as kind of a joke, I mentioned, you know, grab your laundry, Caroline, in my introduction, and realized that Caroline and wine rhyme. Yes. So it just became like the perfect little tagline to introduce the podcast. <laughs> so it's it's there. It's been there for months. It's probably never going away. Um and it's, it's your catchphrase. It's my catchphrase. <laughs> Grab your laundry, Caroline. Uh, so anyway, um, so we are recording a little bit early today. Um, I, we, you and I both um, had things going on later today during the normal recording time. And so I think that's why my mouth has not quite caught up yet. <laughs> I'm not awake. Um Normally, I give myself at least a couple of hours uh, to wake up before recording the podcast, and I only give myself about 45 minutes today to, to wait. It makes so, a difference. It, it makes does a make difference. a difference. Um, but I do have caffeine. I am sitting here with the monster, so um, hopefully, my, hopefully my mouth won't um, rebel too much today. Um, so let's hear from you. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your books? Just kind of mention them a little bit and we'll get um, a little more in-depth in them in a little bit. Um, just what, okay. what inspires you, um, your, you know, just your writing process and about you when you started writing all that fun stuff. Okay. Well, I um, I have always loved to write. And when I say always, we're talking like, 
I used to tell my mom stories when I was really little and make her write them down, even though I couldn't read yet. But I knew there were books because she read to me, so I wanted my words down too. Um, and I was, she still kind of, she still jokingly does this, but she would explain me sometimes, you know, when we would meet people saying, this is Laurie, she's my artsy child. <laughs> and so, and, um, so that anything that had to do with writing, art, music, I've always loved. Um, I wrote all the, you know, you spend your childhood emulating other people. So first I wanted to be Dr. Seuss, and then I wanted to be Laura Ingalls Wilder, and then Judy Bloom, and then I start, you know, you start finding your own voice as you get older. But um, I love suspense and crime, true crime shows and podcasts and books and that sort of thing. And um, the first novel I ever wrote was actually sort of a an inspirational, like, Christian novel. And it never really fit anywhere. It was too Christian-y to be published in the secular world. And it was too, I guess, real and explicit to, <laughs> for anybody to want to touch it in the Christian book world. So I self-published it. And I'm not telling you the name because it was so awful. <laughs> Oh my gosh, it was the worst. It was horrible. So I just stopped for a while because, you know, oh my gosh. See, now, but, um, see, now I'm curious. I'll tell you in person. I'm not <laughs> you telling the You whole can tell world. me later. Yeah, you, we, don't have to, yeah. we don't have to mention I that did, on the podcast. I did end up kind of gutting it, retooling it, catching all the horrific typos, and, and re releasing it under, another, under, under the name. Um, Grace Restored, and um, so if you follow, if you go to my author page on Amazon, scroll down, it's there. It's very cheesy still, but at least it doesn't have typos and bad write, you know, really bad writing anymore. So, um, but anyway, I don't promote it much because oh gosh, <laughs> but um, so I spent a few years after Fifty Shades came out, and I was just you know horrified by the first-person present tense, which I really like now, but at the time I was just like, oh my gosh, this is terrible, you know, being all snooty. And a friend of mine said, well, why don't you write something better? So under a pen name, I have published a couple of naughty books. But, um, <gasps> yeah, I know it doesn't fit me at all now. <laughs> this was like 10 years ago and I was in a mood. But, um, but I published my first what I call real book in 2021. And um, it's called Chosen by a Killer, and it was meant to be a standalone suspense book. But the people who read it were like, oh, I want to know more. And what happens with Celia? And does she and Keith ever get together? And then, and then, So I wrote the second one, which was a novella, which I think was the first thing that, of mine that you proofread. And um, called Revenge al Dente. And then I started the third book and kind of got burnt out, you know, like people who go straight through school. And then get tired of it yeah. by the um, you know, and um, so I put that on pause, and I published a historical romance, and I'm sort of ADHD, I guess, and published a couple of picture books based on little stories I made up when I was teaching music, and um, then I had been writing a devotional for a while that you also proofread, and I finished up that, and then I realized, you know, I was. I actually got a couple of emails from people, one of whom I've never even met, that said, 
so what's the status on the third book? <laughs> I was like, okay, all right, fine. So when I are you going to hook money. us up? Come on. <laughs> yeah. So I have really made a ridiculous deadline for myself. I am helping with a book local author booth at our Renaissance Fair at the end of October, and that is when I'm debuting The Bone Farm. So we'll see if that happens. <laughs> I told them that was the name of the book, so I have to do it now. But, um, but yeah, I, I really love to read and write pretty much every genre. So um, I'm, I'm, I can't write fantasy because I don't see how people create all those worlds. But um, Oh, I know. Yeah. It's absolutely fascinating that you can come, that you can read this book. And it's like this world feels so real. And it I know. feels like you should be able to go there. And it came out of somebody's brain. It's, yeah, it absolutely fascinates me. Yeah. My daughter likes to write, and she writes fantasy. <laughs> and she has this elaborate map, and she created an alphabet. And I'm like, how in the world do you do that? <laughs> but, yeah. Well, and, you know, it's, it's so funny that you as an author say, I don't know how somebody can do can write a book like that. My thing is, I don't know how somebody can write a book, period. <laughs> um, you know, I just, I, I have mentioned this so many times, and my friend Caroline has told me, she's like, never say never, because you might want to write a book someday. And I'm like, yep, for now, I have no desire. I have no desire to write a book. And I... Um, I had mentioned to you before we started recording that I, um, I have started creating a transcript using Google Docs and I get my little microphone out and I set it next to the computer speaker so that Google Docs can pick up um, the conversation and I was going over the transcript that I recorded with <clears throat> um, Diana Gunn a couple of weeks ago and um, I mentioned that I had had you know, this wild hair that I wanted to write like a memoir type thing uh, yeah. for my kids for after um, I'm gone and or child. Um, I swear I'm going to have twins when my husband and I are able to, have, to get our kid. We're going to end up with like multiples because I keep saying kids. Um, but, you know, I and then I realized Pam, that's writing a book. Yes, it <laughs> so, is. So my desire to write a memoir just really kind of went out the window because I'm like, no, that's basically writing a book, and, and I don't want to write a book. <clears throat> so, um, but I did have the idea. Um, I was talking to um, my mom the other day, and my mom is, when she's talking about her childhood and when she's telling stories about things, um, you know, when she was a kid and when she was an adult, um, she is like the best storyteller. She really is. And she can be long-winded and she can, you know, when she's telling me about a funny part in a book, it cracks me up because she'll be reading a book and she'll laugh. And I'll, ask, and I'll ask her what's funny. So instead of going back like two paragraphs and like catching me up on the particular scene that was funny, she has to go back and explain the whole book up to that point. 
Yes. Because, because she has <laughs> because she has to explain why that particular scene was funny. Um, but she doesn't do that when she's telling stories about like her childhood and her college years and you know all of that. So I told her the other day that I wanted to like record her, you know, telling these stories and put them in a book and make like a memoir type thing for my sister and me. And, you know, for after my mom is gone, which, you know, she's not allowed to leave for like, she's not allowed to die for like 30 years. Uh, yes. She's, she's, I feel the same about mine. Yes. She has got to stick around, you know, and I told her, I was like, this is not me wishing death on you. This is no, you have to stick around. Um, you know, I was like, but at the same time, I, you know, want those memories and I want those stories for after she is gone, because I think that that would be a wonderful thing to have. And so, you know, I had talked to her about using the Google Docs voice typing, and she's like, yeah, but I'm really boring when I'm just sitting there talking. (laughs) She's just like, I need somebody to talk to. And I was like, okay, well, we'll get on video chat. And she's like... You know, that that makes sense to me, because people who know me say I'm really funny. And so they're like, you should do stand-up, but I can't, like write down things that are just funny. I'm only funny when you're with me. <laughs> I'm only you know funny I mean? when it's, I'm only funny when it's completely off the cuff and I don't realize it's funny. <laughs> you know, my, my friend Gabe and I, uh, record, you've probably seen me share on, on Twitter at podcast 47. Um, yeah. it's a, um, it's a fan podcast for the TV show alias from back oh. in, the, from back in the early 2000s. And I had made a comment early on in the show, in like maybe the third or fourth episode, I had made this comment that Gabe thought was hilarious. He laughed so hard, and I couldn't figure out why he was laughing. And <laughs> so, so he tells me, he's like, okay, I will explain to you in a few episodes why this is funny. And I'm like, okay. So that particular episode where he explains why it was funny came up just a couple of weeks ago. And so then he was able, so then he was able to tell me, okay, this is why it was funny. And I'm like, okay. Um, but yeah, that happens to me all the time. Uh, my parents, uh, when I was a kid and I would do something like that, they call it a Pamelism. Oh, cool. Because I've got like multiple of them. I I've got so many that I would just, I would say something and, you know, it would just be my ditzy kid-like ADHD brain saying something <laughs> off, the, <laughs> off the cuff. And, you know, and my parents would think it was hilarious. And I'm like, what is funny? Which just apparently made it even funnier. Oh, yeah, that makes it funnier. <laughs> so, you know. Um, uh, but... It's, you know, it's just one of those, I I totally get about the not doing stand-up because you can't always plan what's funny. And I admire stand-up comedians who can, you know, that they can plan what's funny. I'm like, that is amazing to me. Um, On America's Got Talent, we had, uh, there were several comedians 
that there was one that she just got sent home and my husband and I agree that she was just absolutely adorable. She was, she was the kind of person that you just kind of want to miniaturize and put in your pocket and just like <laughs> carry around with you because she was, she was so adorable. And I, she was Asian, but I could not tell you what country. Um, yeah. Normally, I can sort of tell by the accent, um, but with her, I, I couldn't tell. Um, I want to say China, but I'm fairly sure that's wrong. So. Um, but you know, one of the things that she uh, would say when she came on to do her bit was, yeah, I have an accent (laughs) and it was, you know, and it was just the way that she would say things and the way that she would word things, uh, was just, it was adorable and it was funny and we were sad when she got sent home. Yeah. Um, but yeah, being able to plan funny is just, it's, that's amazing to me. Uh, okay, so let's talk about your books because I I got to read the first chapter of Chosen by a Killer um, in the short-lived uh, first chapter Friday series that I did here on the oh yeah yeah podcast and I came across it the other day and I'm like. Um, I couldn't remember who the author was because I didn't actually have it listed in the title um, of the podcast episode. But then you mentioned it um, earlier. So I was like, oh, that was her book. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then um, I did get to, I got to proofread uh, Revenge al Dente, which I thought was adorable. Um, that was such a fun little story. Um, and I do say, I do say little cause it was not a long, um, yeah, I, I think, think it, was it was about 30,000 words, something maybe. like that. Yeah. It was just, it was very, very short, but it was, it was very cute and very well written and very well done. And I thought it was a lot of fun. So what, what gave you the inspiration to write, um, crime stories? Well, um, like I said, I've always loved them, but um, without getting too dark, um, there was a time when I was going through some difficulties, and this was a time when internet forums were really big, and um, so a decade or so ago, and I joined one and looking for some particular advice, and then it split and kind of became... You know, yeah, kind of like, I don't know how churchy people are that listen, but there are certain denominations down here in the South that are notorious for somebody gets mad about something and they split off a new church because, you know, we're all mad at each other. Yeah. <laughs> and so that's kind of what happened with this forum. And I ended up having a weird stalker thing where, for some reason, my very existence was like an affront to this really overly tan tax attorney. And it was just so bizarre. I mean, I don't even know these people, but it became a thing. And, And then, you know, you encounter such strange people on those kinds of, in those kinds of environments. And there was another person that came for advice, but stayed 
for the chance to flirt with various women and um, was kind of a kind of a sociopathic little what do you call the Casanova type so I started you know and I couldn't at that point in my life I was very stressed and overwhelmed and kind of timid and insecure and I knew I couldn't really lash out in any sort of productive way and I wasn't going to lash out in any sort of criminal way so I just started writing little serial killer vignettes I know that's disturbing but since I couldn't get back at them I would just kill them off and, and I started with a manuscript called unfinished business where someone systematically kills off all these characters and it was just it was obvious it was basically a cathartic therapy session instead of a real book but there were enough things in there that I liked that I thought what if I took some of this and created a whole totally separate character who was a female serial killer and she told the stories some of them you know not the more obvious ones and um it just kind of percolated in my brain, and I liked the idea because I'm not a big procedural person. I don't want to have to research how exactly how an interrogation goes or how the, you know, mass spectrometer really works. I, I don't want to have to do that. So I thought, get it. <laughs> and so I thought, let's have someone interview. You know, instead of solving the crime. Let's have, she's already guilty and she's about to be executed. She refused to talk to the press, but she sees a bit of herself in this cold, calculating, detached reporter. And she reaches out to that reporter and says, I want you to be the one to tell my story before, you know, I get the lethal injection. And I was like, I could tell that story, you know, tell it kind of as a looking back thing and so that's sort of how chosen by a killer started and then I realized you know a bunch of interviews was really two-dimensional so the more I wrote the more all the other characters fleshed themselves out and suddenly I thought this is a really good novel and um so that's kind of how that came and then I guess some of the readers got invested in the characters and and asked for more and I was and I wrote a lot of it in an Italian restaurant whose owner was named Marlene. And I used to sing there a lot before I got COVID and my lungs went kaput. And I put her in the first book as as the main character's friend who runs an Italian restaurant. And so, of course, she comes into play a lot more in the second book, as you know. Yeah. And um, that's just kind of how it happened. So... Yeah, I I loved the the fact that it was set in an Italian restaurant. Um, I think that was probably my favorite part of about the whole book. Um, my a lot of you know just about everybody um, who has known me fifteen seconds on Twitter um, knows that my husband is an Italian New York. Um, oh yeah, New Yorker, and he was a chef for fifteen years. Oh wow. So I got like, like I hit the jackpot when it comes to to Italian food. Um, and, but yeah, I, I told several people, um, the really funny story. Um, when I was in like my early, maybe mid twenties, just 
flippantly, like not even, I think my mom and I had like just gone out to an Italian restaurant and had just had lunch and we were talking about how yummy Italian food is. And I just happened, I just mentioned flippantly that I should marry an Italian who can cook. And, you know, it was just flippant. My mom doesn't even remember the conversation. And, you know, then it was like God was up in heaven going, challenge accepted. Um, (laughs) Because, you know, at the time I said it, my husband was living in Minnesota, married to somebody else, having kids, wasn't even, like, in my hemisphere. Like, it just... And so when I met him and found out he was a New York Italian, found out he had been a chef, my mind goes back to that conversation that I had had with my mom. And I'm like, okay, I get it. (laughs) (laughs) So it's just, you know, it's funny how just all of your little flippant comments are, you know, and I tell people all the time, I'm like, words have power. This is a really good example of the fact that words have power. Oh, yeah. Um, and so I, you know, and that's a lot of the reason why I always try to be kind and try to be, you yes. know, treat people with dignity because, you know, our, our words don't just have power to the universe or to God or to, you know, whatever higher power you believe in. They have power with other people as well. And you know, the, the words that authors write in their books or the words that we put on Twitter, you know, they don't ever go anywhere. They're here forever and ever and ever. And, you know, I, I think that indie authors and self-published authors to bring my words have power, um, (laughs) back into books. Um, you know, those, those words that authors write in your books, the words that I write on my blog posts uh, to review those books, they have power to lift somebody mm-hmm. up and to encourage them, or they have power to, you know, discourage them and tear them down. And, you know, I will always choose to be kind and I will always choose to be positive. Um, I think I've got one book um, that I reviewed that <laughs> probably should take down, but I'm not gonna, um, that did not, I did not give it a very nice review. Um, it was a fairly mainstream book. Um, if I mentioned the title, you would know, I've talked about it on the podcast before. Um, but there were a couple of things about it that I felt needed a trigger warning and, and did not get one. Um, so the, you know, and what's funny is there was a content warning and there was a trigger warning at the beginning of the book, but it did not mention this particular type of trigger. And while I was not particularly triggered by it, I was troubled by it. And I did find it a little bit problematic in that regard is that I, you know, it did trouble me. Um, and so the review that I wrote was not very nice. Um, it it was not quite as evil as when I had my movie review blog, 
Um, don't go looking for it. It no longer exists. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's gone. Um, but my, um, it's so funny because my friend Jay, um, she is an author that I have worked with on um, proofreading a book of hers. And she mentioned um, that she really likes the movie Mad Max Fury Road. And I is that is that a new one or is that one of the old Tina Turner ones? It's um the it's like the newest Mad Max movie. Okay, okay. It's yeah. got like Charlize Theron, um, and like oh yeah, I had other seen that. other people. Um, I I reviewed it on my movie review blog, and I tore it up apart. <laughs> I, you know, I think I mentioned at one point that I wanted to write Charlize Theron a, a letter asking her why she participated in that dribble. <laughs> She's so awesome. I know. She is amazing. Um, that movie was not. Um, it, it, was ab- it was absolutely terrible. I hated it so much. Not as much as I hated Napoleon Dynamite, but close. Um Oh, I have to tell you, someone, they kept telling me to watch Napoleon Dynamite. Oh, my God. And so I finally did, I guess it was on HBO, one of those movie channels. And, you know, sometimes in between the movies, they'll have little short documentaries Mm -hmm. that are kind of, sometimes they're just kind of bizarre or go kind of over your head. Because I watched, I caught the ending of some movie, and then Napoleon Dynamite was supposed to start. Well... Then this thing comes on about a weird, awkward high school kid who's not very attractive. And I it took me 15 minutes to realize, oh, this isn't one of those weird in-between documentaries. This is the movie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. That is too funny. And yeah, the movie I... itself is terrible, but I still, it's, it's fun to joke about, though. It's, it's like Monty Python. Monty Python is more fun to quote and talk about than it is to actually watch. I have so, to agree with you. Yeah, I have to agree with you there. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Napoleon Dynamite is, it's one of those, you know, like my friend Diana said, um, we were, we, she actually mentioned, she was like, I hate that movie with the passion of a thousand sons. And I, it was just absolutely terrible. I was like, yeah, this is two hours. I'm just never getting back. The best part about it was the music. And oh, yeah. something that Diana said was that it's very polarizing. You either love it or you hate it. There is absolutely yeah. no in between. And I think that is, it's the same way with Mad Max movie because my friend Jay loved it. Loved it. We'll watch it over and over and over, whereas I'm the one regretting that I watched it even once. Yeah. Because um, it was so terrible. Um, and Jay, I'm sorry. Um, you you can at me later. Uh, <laughs> you can bring on, <laughs> bring on the judgment. It's totally fine. I can take it. Um, because I just, you know, and when I reviewed it on my movie blog, I, I mean, I tore it apart. And, you know, but there's, you know, there's a difference between hating a movie 
and disliking it and tearing it apart and telling people don't watch this movie. It was absolutely terrible. Um, and doing this, and I, for some reason, I just can't do the same thing with a book. Yeah, I, I think it's because a movie, a bunch of people went into making it. It probably evolved 57 times before you got the final product. A fourth of it's on a floor somewhere, so it feels less personal, whereas a book yeah. is like someone's guts on the page. It's Yeah, you know? I, I call them book babies. They're, you yeah. know, I'm like, you wouldn't walk up to somebody on the street and tell them your baby's ugly and pick up the baby and throw it on the ground. You, I mean, you wouldn't do that. No. Some, some people might. Some people are just evil. But, you know, in the grand scheme of things, you would not walk up to somebody and just tell them their baby's ugly. It's, yeah. you know, I feel that same way about somebody's book, you know, because knowing, you know, especially after, <coughs> excuse me, especially after being part of the community on Twitter and getting to know you guys and getting to know the authors and, um, knowing just what exactly goes into writing a book and how much work and how much blood and sweat and tears and tears, tears, all the tears, um, goes into writing your books that I just can't bring myself to write a bad book review. I I just can't do it. If I can't think of enough nice things to say about your book, I'm not going to review it. Yeah. (laughs) It's, you know, it's just not going to happen. Because going back to the words have power thing, you know, I prefer to spend my time lifting up and encouraging and you know, raving and, you know, all of these things about the books I love, I would rather do that than spend my time tearing down these books that I hated. You know, that just, it doesn't, for me personally, that does not seem like a productive use of my time. Yeah, I agree with that. So, you know, and there are plenty of people that are willing to write the bad reviews um, I will leave that job to those people. <laughs> yes. It's, it's never going to be me. Um, so yeah, if I, if I can't think of enough nice things to say about your book, it's just, it's not going to end up on, on my blog. Um, so far though, I have only come across one, two, two, excuse me, two books. Um, and I am friends with neither author on Twitter. Um, so anybody who is listening from Twitter, it's none of you guys. It's totally fine. <laughs> but I've come across two books um, that were indies that I could not think of enough nice things to say about them. So they just did not end up on my blog. Um, I may go back and like add them to um, my shop um, as like an affiliate link, um, you know, just under like books I've read. Um, but 
it's they're I'm not going to review them because I can't think of enough nice things to say. Um, yeah, I, I've had to learn a few things like on Twitter. If I buy someone's book, if it's the first book of theirs I've ever bought, I don't tell them I've bought it until I've read some. Because there was a time that someone who was just precious, and I'm not going to say who, um, but I told them I just bought blah, blah, blah. And I could not finish reading it because it was so hard to follow. Oh, that's so sad. And, and I just, you know, I saw the potential there, but I was like, oh, you know, it was kind of, I, I saw myself in college is what I saw, where there's there's some really good raw stuff here, but somebody needs to help, you know, and I yeah. didn't mean that condescending. I mean, it just, and they kept asking, how do you like it? How do you like it? And I was like, you know, and so I, that's what I, I said. I said, I said, the theme of this book is really powerful because what they were trying to say was really powerful yeah and um then I said I really like so-and-so character but I just couldn't say I don't think it was that well written first of all who am I I mean I'm not Hemingway but secondly I just and so now if I buy someone's book and I've never read their book before I read it first and then if it was awesome I go all over Twitter and vomit about how awesome (laughs) it was but I just don't ever want to be in a position where it just wasn't for me, and I have to tell somebody that. Not that my opinion is going to really matter, but it might matter. So I don't want to, you know, I don't want to crush somebody's dream just because my brain wasn't particularly tuned in or whatever. So, I uh, yeah, I got a book. Um, you had mentioned that that book was hard to follow. Um, I got a book from NetGalley uh, that the premise sounded amazing actually there's oh yeah two books um but the premise sounded amazing so i'm like okay request and it was either a request that i got approved for or it was one of those read now uh, books but i read it had a hard time following it um but because it was net galley book i'm like the only way that i'm going to not finish a net galley book is if it's just offensive. Yeah. yeah, just horribly offensive. Or um, I had one that I had to uh, refuse to send feedback because the way that it was formatted for my Kindle, it was it had like an inch um, of the words cut off on yeah. the other side. So I literally could not figure out what yes. was going on. Like I couldn't even read well, yeah. it properly. So I, you know, I had to send it and I'm like, you know, I will look for this book later on Amazon. Please tell the author to format it correctly so that you can actually read it because it's, you know, and then there was, um, another one that I got, um, on, you know, and the, the first one that I got on NetGalley was, you know, I was determined to finish it. Uh, so I did and I, and I did review it. It's up on my blog. Um, and you know, but the, the negative thing that I had to say about that book wasn't the story, wasn't how it was written. It was, there was no discernible time jump, you know, like you're, you're reading it 
and then you you go to the next chapter and all of a sudden this five-year-old kid is like 25 yeah and it takes yeah. you and it takes you about three or four pages into that to figure chapter it out yeah. to figure it out and so that was a little bit confusing and that was a little bit frustrating and you know so you know there was that one and then there was one that i could not finish couldn't do it you as a christian will get it yeah <laughs> um because it was supposedly it was a fiction book and it was supposedly written about the time after jesus ascension uh-huh. in, into heaven and i could not figure out if the author had done any sort of research at all whatsoever um because there and i mentioned this on on previous podcast episodes and i just i have a really hard time not laughing about it um not to make fun of like other people's religion um or anything like that but there was one part where apparently Jesus left behind a pregnant wife. Okie dokie. <laughs> and, you know, whether he did or whether he didn't, that is completely, I mean, there's, there's honestly, there's no way to really know for sure uh, whether he did or whether he didn't. But my personal opinion is if he did have a wife, kind of felt like that was something important enough that it should have made it into the Bible. Yeah, you'd think. <laughs> that, you know, that was just my my personal opinion on the matter. And so then, you know, I'm like, okay, well, it is a fiction book, so I yeah. can I can kind of sort of move past the whole pregnant wife thing. Yeah, kind of, sort of. And so then um they, it moves on, and the group of people were having a, a church service, and they started talking about, like, chakras, and, oh boy. you know, yeah, and I'm like, okay, so now we're mixing religions. That I kind of had a problem with. Um, you know, I, I'm not going to sit and, and bash Hinduism, I'm not going to sit and bash, you know, somebody's outright religion and their beliefs. I disagree with them, but I'm not going to sit here and bash them. What I am going to say, though, is something like that has no business in a book based on Jesus Christ. (laughs) Yeah, I don't, I mean, I'm sure there were probably people that, and I don't even know enough to use it in a sentence, that that used chakras or had feelings about chakras or whatever at the time of that. But I don't think Peter and Paul and John were doing it. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. I mean, I just, I, I have, you know, and so it was, you know, once it reached that point in the book, it was at that point that I'm like, okay, yeah, can't, you know, I, it's, and, you know, and I have read other books that, you know, I, I have one nonfiction book that I uh, reviewed on um, my blog as well. It's called Sensitive is the New Strong. 
um, by, by Anita Morjani. And she is Indian. Um, and she is Hindu. So, yeah. so a lot of her, you know, when she starts talking, um, in religious terms or things like that, she goes for her religion. She talks yeah. through that lens of being a Hindu and, you know, with her book, there were, there was a lot of really good stuff in the book. Um, it was nonfiction. It was, um, how being empathic and how having empathy, um, is not actually a weakness. Um, and how, you know, and how to use being an empath to, you know, as a strength in your life. And so it, it was a wonderful book and I, and I enjoyed it thoroughly. Um, you know, with her book, I was able to take the things that meant something to me and I was able to discard, for lack of a better word, those things from her religion that I disagreed with. Yeah. Um, with this other book, I couldn't do that. Well, they're so <laughs> intertwined. And, yeah, I can see that. It would be like if I read a book that had a Muslim character in it, a traditional Muslim woman in it, and it had her on the beach in a two-piece, I would be like, what? I know. Because I know it's traditional Muslim women. They're not probably going to wear go to the beach with a bathing suit anyway. But oh, no. it's certainly, it's not going to be a two-piece. And I respect that. I mean, it, you know, it's, it's got to be realistic. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and I think that was the, that was the hardest part of that book for me was that it, you know, I've been a Christian my entire life. I grew up in church. I grew up reading the Bible and, you know, it just, that particular book, it, it felt like there was no research involved in, yeah. in that book. It was just, somebody had the idea of, okay, let's, let's write a fiction book about all of the people after Jesus ascended and that was as far as the research went. They <laughs> just, <Yes. laughs> just kind of made up everything off the top of their head. Um, yeah. From that point on, there was absolutely no research. And if I'm reading a book that I can tell has not been researched, it bothers me. Yeah. Um, same with TV shows. You know, I had... There was, there was one episode of um, the TV show NCIS yeah. that one of the characters, she called Gibbs and said, you know, basically her life was in danger. And he shows up 15 minutes later and she is seen hanging from her bed. Like the, somebody had turned her, her metal bed up on the end. I remember that episode. Yes, and, yes, yes. and she is, and she's hanging from, from the end of the bed. And he, you know, when he goes back to NCIS and he's talking to everybody, you know, he's like, I talked to her 15 minutes before, um, you know, I, I showed up to her room 15 minutes after I talked to her. And Abby was like, yeah, she was taking 50 milligrams of trazodone. That would have had her, like, sleeping for, like, 15 hours. And I was like, and I'm sitting there, 
yelling at the TV. Because I have worked in mental health and social services since 2007. Mm-hmm. And eight of those years was, I was basically a medical assistant to a psychiatrist yeah. and had the, the drug reps from all of the drug companies, um, come and, you know, they would give us lunches and they would, you know, tell us about all of the new medications. I also worked very closely with the pharmacy. So I knew medications, um, yeah. And one thing that I know for sure is that if you are truly mentally ill, 50 milligrams of trazodone ain't doing jack. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I, I had clients that were on 1600 milligrams of Seroquel, which is a, it's a medication for, uh, yeah. uh for bipolar. Yeah. And, my, um, I have a, I have a relative that takes that and this is a whole other story which one day I will write but I was incorrectly diagnosed as bipolar in oh, the wow. early 2000s because I was going through some stress and trauma and a physician's assistant gave me a, a Likert scale questionnaire to fill out and because at that time in my stress the Likert scale diagnosed me as bipolar I spent five or six years as a zombie on medicine I didn't need. And one of those medicines was Seroquel. It also made me gain 65 pounds. Right. You know, well, I mean, Seroquel is going to, it's, you know, going to make you gain weight. That's one, one of the things that they, that doctors really watch for. But, you know, one particular client was on 1600 milligrams of Seroquel. And would still only sleep. And, and Seroquel, one of the side effects is sedation. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's not, yeah, I mean, it's not necessarily used as a sleeping medication, but it has those sedation qualities because when a bipolar person is going through a manic episode, they need something to bring them back down to earth. Right. It's a, it, yeah, it was originally and, an anti-seizure medicine, wasn't it? I, and then it, that I don't remember. Um, I, but I know if I took 200 milligrams and it, if I wasn't in bed within a half an hour, yeah. it was a bad thing. Well, and, so. you know, and this particular client was on 1,600 and sleeping maybe three hours at a time. That is a manic episode. So, you know, trazodone is considered a sleeping pill. Yeah. And most people, if they were mentally ill, most people are going to take at least minimum 150 milligrams. That's what the re- the relative that I have that has schizoaffective disorder takes 150 and still has trouble sleeping at times. Right. So. so I'm sorry, 50 milligrams of trazodone isn't going to do anything. So I'm, you know, and my husband has, has since um, informed me that in TV shows, when they do things like that and when they mention things like that, a lot of times it's deliberate. Because they don't want to give people ideas. Oh, yeah. Just like you cannot, um, you know, like they'll, you know, like they'll say something about, you know, somebody committed suicide by taking, you know, 2000 milligrams of Valium, you know, or something like that. Yeah, which wouldn't kill you, but you don't, but 
would not kill you, but you would probably wish you were dead for at least three days. <laughs> yeah, but then, then they're not my, then they haven't told somebody how to kill themselves. Yeah, right, right. Um, so I, you know, he he has since informed me, but that particular episode still pisses me off. <laughs> it still makes me so mad. Um, well, I'll confess here. I have a one dear friend who is an English teacher, and she reads a lot of my stuff just to give feedback. Yeah, this makes sense. No, you're you're, you're not crazy. This is actually a decent story, you know. So she um, read my historical fiction, which is set in the 1830s in the South, and um, I refer to one of the trees that is that is just prolific in this area because it's this area of the South is the Bradford pear tree. And all the swanky little houses have bread for pears. They're a pain in the patootie, but they're pretty for about three weeks. And I mentioned a bread for pear tree. And um, she told me, and I'm like, why didn't you tell me this before? But um, she told me after she read the published version, she said, oh, I meant to mention this when I read the manuscript, but I had forgotten. Her husband is allergic to them. So they... They've read about them, and he hates them. And it's actually a hybrid that wasn't, like, developed till the 1940s. And I was like, oh, I have a tree in my book that didn't exist. I mean, that's not something most people would know, but it just, I'm like, oh. I'm oh, really yeah, I wouldn't have known. I'm really tempted to change the name of the tree and upload a new manuscript, but I'm not going to. But, well, <laughs> but, I mean, honest, honestly, unless your readers are like anthropologic botanists. <laughs> They're probably not going to know or care that well, Bradford pear tree didn't exist in the 1800s. Magnolias and dogwoods and azaleas. And I was like, what other flowering trees in the South? And then I was like, oh yeah, Bradford pears. <laughs> Mag- magnolia, magnolia trees. We, um, our zoo, um, here in my city has magnolia trees. Um, I'm pretty sure it's magnolia. It's the one with the big, like waxy looking flowers. The big waxy leaves and the big round white or pink flowers. Our, our zoo here has the magnolia trees everywhere and it is like against the rules. You are not allowed to pick the magnolias off the magnolia trees. And I'm like, the first time I saw them, I'm like, it's so pretty. I want to take them home. And they're like, yeah, no, you can't do that. Um, we'll call the cops. Um, so I don't know that they would literally call the cops. But, um, yeah, it was it, against the rules to to pick the magnolias. Um, so when I have my house, I just might have to, like, plant a magnolia tree. I don't know. Because they're so pretty. It's... You know, you can mail somebody flower arrangements and they're still fresh. And I was like, God, there's so many magnolia trees around here. How could I mail you one? <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> um, okay, so this hour has gone by super, super, super quick. Yeah, that, I, I talk a lot, sorry. Um, oh, no, it's totally fine. Um, but we've got about five minutes left or so. Where can people find you to come hang out? Uh, I am on Twitter. And my handle is Lurieusi, I will spell that, L-U-R-I-O-O-S-I. 
that is the nickname that my dad gave the character for me in the stories he used to make up on car trips. My brother was Nodge, which is John spelled backwards. But you can't say Laurie backwards, so he just made up Laurie Lucy. So that's my handle. Um, I'm also on Instagram as Lyrically Laurie, um, because I also sing. And um, Facebook is Laurie Nave Author. I have an Amazon author page. I have a website. I'm not that great about keeping up with it, but it's fairly current. It's laurienaveauthor.com. And um, you can read a little bit about book three of Celia's adventure on there called The Bone Farm because there's a little bit about it. And um, I'm also starting to promote it some on Twitter because, you know, you got to start that stuff early. But um, those are all the posts I am on the Internet. Um, You know, I'm not on the FBI site yet, but, you know, you never know. You never know. (laughs) <clears throat> Depending on my search history, I might be on a watch list. <laughs> you know, I it's so funny because there are so many authors that I know on Twitter that they're like, yeah, I'm pretty sure I'm on a watch list somewhere because um, of their search history. But I'm like, you know, if the NSA is actually spying on us, Excuse me. Surely they've seen my manuscript. <laughs> they have. They've either seen your manuscript or they figure you wouldn't be so overt in yeah. your in leaving these items on your search history if yeah. you were actually doing something that you needed to hide. Yeah. You'd use a proxy server and a Tor browser and all those things. Yeah, you'd use like a VPN <laughs> and like yeah. Uh, in private browsing on Chrome, and yeah, you, know, you would like you would do everything that you could to hide your search history. Um, so you know, I'm pretty sure that the NSA probably knows the difference. Um, so uh, about two minutes, uh, real quick. What is your favorite writing tool? Actually. I've tried, I tried Dabble, I tried Scrivener, I tried the free trial of Scrivener, and I think if you're really uber detail-y, those things are amazing. I am a big picture and then wing it girl. I actually use Google Docs the same way other people use writing things. I have a main folder for the manuscript, and then I have subfolders entitled Characters, Timeline, um, and then a folder for each chapter, and then... I put it all together before I make it into a Word document. I mean, all this stuff. And that way, if I need to go back, and all the characters have heading names, so if I can't remember Lucille's last name, because sometimes I just can't, I just open the character thing, it's got the list, I click it, and it tells me her stats. You know, So I use Google Drive and documents the same way other people use those other things, and I find it easier Plus, if I want to, and I always, I usually do this, I zip that folder at the end and send it to all my other Google accounts because <laughs> I have like six. And um, that way it doesn't get lost because I used to use flash drives a long time ago and I have hundreds of poems and several partially finished manuscripts that just are gone because I lost the flash drive. Oh, and you know, you and the lap you know, you go through a laptop and you get a new one, so if it's on your laptop hard drive, goodbye, you know. So I have learned that Google Drive is like amazing. I would never format a book in it 
because I don't like it as much as Word, but yeah, that's that's my tool, and it doesn't cost anything, so keep up. Right, yeah, I use, <laughs> um, I have Microsoft Office, um, and I, I love it. Um, I use Word for um, creating blog posts and stuff like that, and because um, it's just easier to be offline um, oh, yeah. instead of having to go actually into WordPress um, and uh, create the, the blog post. So, um, okay, so time's about to be up. Thank you so much for coming and visiting with me today. Well, thank you for thank you blast. for having me. This is fun. And um, I will see you on Twitter. Yes, I will probably be there later this afternoon in between house cleaning and before people come for a cookout so Same. Same. <laughs> i'll see you later bye Lori. have a great day bye you too